This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Hi LS Pod fans, it's JR here. Burt's Babes, Hoddle's Heroes, even Decanio's Dozens. We've had some iconic lineups in our history at Swindon, just like the legendary menu at McDonald's. Parkin or Austin, sweet curry or barbecue? Why not get a McNugget share box to enjoy the debates with your mates? And thanks to book delivery, every drop-off could be a home win. Order now on the McDonald's app and you can also get rewards points too. No one wants to drop points at home, and with tasty rewards to earn, you won't be missing out. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus. Rewards registration required. Points only on menu items. Delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com Rogers is streaking ahead and he's onside. Beautiful play! That is that! What a good shot! Oh, what a good goal! Mike Bar post for Shearer. Goal! McLaughlin has it. Oh, deflection! And a goal! Catch to Mitchell! It's another goal! Incredible! Hobble! How's it going? Yeah, very well, thank you. It's been a while. It feels like it's been a while. I feel like I'm, I feel like I'm recording podcasts almost daily at the moment. So if I if I don't speak to someone for about three episodes, it feels like an eternity. But I hope you're well. Yeah, very well. I mean, we, we only saw each other two weeks ago, Rich. Obviously, that wasn't uh, a podcasting <laughs> uh, venture, really. Um, yeah, I guess I guess it probably was because we're with uh, Dan of this parish as well. But um, yeah, I guess it's been what three weeks since I was on the pod, which does feel a very long time given like the slog of last season where we were just talking to each other twice a week. So <laughs> it, it's good to be back. I'm I'm I do love just saying my opinions into a microphone every so often, and uh, what better occasion than a Sunday night after Rochdale at home. Luckily, one of the major criteria of doing a podcast is talking into a microphone. So I think we've got all bases <laughs> covered on that front. And Bristol Rovers away feels like a much longer time ago than two weeks. But yeah, wow. Yeah, I mean, two men just talking about how long ago things feel like they were isn't going to make the best podcast. But it's it's content. We're we're gonna like, do a good long episode. I think. Um, sh- shall we? Shall we get going? Nah, let's talk about, you know, the sands of time still, I think. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, let's let's move on to Swindon Town-related matters. First off, the FA Cup. So, um, weekend of November 6th, um, 
Crew Alexandra away. Yummy. Um, despite this game being a red-hot railway grudge match, Connor, I very much doubt this one will be on TV. Yeah, it it's one of those ones where actually probably in terms of getting like an even tie among two decent sides, this is going to be sort of one of the more watchable games you'd imagine from the first round. But there's not much narrative that you can really spin about a decent League 2 team against a, a decent-ish, I guess, League 1 team. Um, so, yeah, I, I can't see the BBC putting it on. I mean, there, there are a couple that, that were drawn out of the hat. Um, I think Corinthian Casuals slash, um, is it uh, St Albans versus Forest Green? That that seems like the Friday night one, if I was to just pick something out of a hat um, myself. But yeah, the, I, it doesn't see, feel like it's going to be on TV because we've got that long venture up north the week before to Oldham. It, it feels like a really inconvenient one. I was very frustrated by it. Um, I'd wanted just like somewhere in the south that's in non-league or somewhere like Portsmouth um, to just have a, a nice away day that's not too difficult to do. Uh, and uh, yeah, we got we got that. So we're going to have to go the length of the country if we want to go, which, you know, it is what it is. Um, but, you know, at least we've not been thrown like a, a derby that's going to give me fever dreams for the next few weeks. Okay. I can kind of take a leave <laughs> this first round. The the first round draw along with the third round draw are just so farcically long. I spent a good ten minutes as the names were disappearing from you know from the from the list of unnamed fixtures. I was getting the Stone Island ready for Oxford. I, 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 <laughs> Started ironing it. <laughs> I was just applying the logo on to all my clothes for, for a little while, um, thinking it was bound to happen. But alas, they got the gas. But um, yeah, cruel way. I think if it was at home, it would be... I'm not going to be snobby. Crew fans would have been exactly the same in their reaction. Um, but they would have had the caveat of at least we're at home. Um, just a, there aren't many interesting draws. I don't care what anyone says. You know, even most of the non-league clubs are former league sides, aren't they? So um, I think Bowers and Pitsy would have been good fun, but I have no idea where that is. Yeah, some, it's like a geography lesson of the UK. Some of the first round draw locations, and yeah, I mean, I think a lot of the non-league teams are not. Or inspiring like I wouldn't have been particularly excited about going away to Darlington if we'd have drawn them away last season in a climate that was sort of conducive to going to football games rather than sitting at home um, on our own uh, there have been a number of draws over the year that haven't really inspired me and obviously there's that season where we had sort of York and Woking I think both of which I would have been excited by away from home but at home like it, it's not really enough to to kind of get the juices flowing. And I know that this is, like we we want to be in the third round really so that we can get some of the teams that are much bigger um, and sort of get a little bit of an upset or get a big crowd in. And they'll feel the exact same way as we do about the fact that we've drawn a team that, you know, will probably play in the league at least in the next few years um, at some point and have done in the last couple of years as well. So it's... Uh, it's one of those ones where you, if you're a League Two team, you draw a League Two team or a League One team you've played recently. It's not exciting, but it's a winnable tie for us. Um, I don't think they've been doing too brilliantly, if I'm not mistaken. We're, we're obviously good away from home. Um, so there's something there to get your teeth into, um, but it's probably going to be one more for just just hoping that Swindon do something rather than the tie itself is going to really inspire us. But... <laughs> 
it's not it's not it's not a problem I mind having. Um, and and yeah, I think as a Swindon fan of a certain generation, it's just hard to get excited about the FA Cup, at least for a Swindon side. I don't don't mind watching it um, sort of in the earlier rounds when you've got sort of upsets happening and all that kind of thing. Um, apart from when it's us, obviously. But uh, yeah, it's not our competition, is it? No, Bowers and Pitt season Essex before James Burgoyne corrects us at some point or updates us because he is the non-league guy. Yeah, I, I, I found it quite funny that many Swindon fans were, were commenting that we've got more of a chance of progression against a league side, which I thought was wonderfully and probably accurately bleak. I, I think we've been knocked out so many times by non-league opposition in the last 15 years, which might be only four or five times, but that's enough for it to not feel that bad anymore. Yeah, I don't. I can't say that like Darlington last season's particularly stuck with me. Nah, exactly. I think Histon was the last one that really was like, oh, crikey. But that's because times weren't that good when that game was played out. I think that's the uh, the death rattle of the Morris Malpes era. But he still got a game against Brighton shortly afterwards, which was the end of the line. I think that's enough FA Cup chat until about November time. So we'll talk about... Uh, the game against Rochdale. Connor, you really need to leave the pub a bit earlier, don't you? That queue was very long. I've not seen a queue outside a Swindon game um, that long, which in itself is a good thing. I mean, it was our best attendance, I think, of the season. Um, So that's probably part of the factor. Uh, Maybe everyone had the same idea as me. And I think it's just weird because, you know, for years I've had this sort of routine of really just arriving at the ground just before the game and it's been fine. I need to need to adjust to the new era where you need to arrive a bit earlier and, and be a little <laughs> bit more organised than I am. Um, but yeah, I was just stood there like, am I am I going to see the game? It's such a long queue. Thankfully, it moved quickly. But uh, yeah, no, it's it, it's uh, it's never nice to be in such a long queue. No, at the time when you were anxiously annoyed before you got into the game and you were messaging us. You have mentioned previously that there was a, a, a issue with the ticket scanners. Was it that this time, or was it the downside of a good turnout? I, I'm, I'd imagine it's probably a bit of all of that. I mean, for me, when I went, I think obviously I've got got season ticket on my phone, and my my phone where it has the barcode for to for my season ticket doesn't fit in the scanner. So it, I, I'm there trying to like frantically get it to line up. Um, and it and it doesn't work, so that's probably on me for like not working out the technical way you're supposed to do it, rather than like a, a technical fault. Um, but I'd imagine if I'm doing it, that, that a lot of people are doing it, and that that might be an issue. But there's probably like a, a number of factors, and potentially it's just going to be solved by you know just just turning up a little bit earlier. But I'm, I'm just not used to it. I'm gonna gonna have to like trial and error work out what my match day routine is. And by the end of the season, we'll have it under wraps and then over the summer break, I'll forget it again. So it's how it is, isn't it? But um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm blaming myself now. Yeah, I blame you too. But more <laughs> importantly, really, is as you've highlighted there, 9,166 town fans in attendance for this game. I think our gate was higher against Scunthorpe, but they might have brought more away fans than Rochdale did. This is incredible, really, isn't it? It's really good. I mean, considering the time of the season it is, um, definitely, like, better attendances than I can really ever remember in the sort of 19 or so years that I've been going. Um, I'm sure there'll have been a few random games in October, November that have had good attendances. But 
you would imagine when, once we get those sort of Christmas crowds and once we sort of start getting into the home straight where potentially there's going to be some some big games and home sort of obviously like the derby um, against Bristol Rovers, maybe a couple of cup games if we're, if we're very, very lucky. Um, Papa John's trophy knockout rounds. Um, yeah, maybe we'll start to sort of... Um, sort of get some some even bigger attendances and sort of hit that 10k which would be amazing and it just adds a sense of occasion to it I mean you go to Swindon now and it it, it just feels so much more important than it did a couple of years ago when we're sort of relatively smaller crowds than what we've had over the course of the last few years and um, you know maybe the football wasn't the most exciting and now it's kind of turned on ahead and um, yeah, you can't complain at all. No, I can't wait to taste it again. Um, at the time, people will be listening to this. It's been 625 days since I saw Swindon play at the county ground. And i got to be honest, I'm starting to feel a little bit down about that. And it sounds like it's so nice. Yeah, and when you told me that that was after the Exeter game, just before the first lockdown, I kind of spiralled about how long that was since uh, since then as well. So, yeah, dread to think how long that actually is. I don't want to think about it. Oh, too long, baby, too long. Well, let's talk about the game then. So lineup for Swindon wasn't a huge surprise. Uh, Lewis Ward kept the number one jersey um, despite the return of Jojo Wallacott at the back in then central defensive roles was Akin Odomeo, Dion Conroy and Romani Critchlow. Wingbacks were Rob Hunt and Ellis Iandolo with Louis Reed in the DM role. Jack Payne and Ben Gladwin were just in front with Harry McCurdy playing just behind Tyrese Simpson. The international quartet of Kess, Jojo, Johnny and Alex Gilbert had to settle for places on the bench. Connor, given the general performance against Forest Green Rovers, there's no major surprises here, is there? Yeah, I think he was right to go unchanged um, the, with the way that the game panned out last week. Um, so, yeah, I had absolutely no sort of worries about that. I mean, obviously, with what, what Garner said in the presser in, in terms of sort of Wallacott arriving sort of fairly late, I, th- I think it makes sense, even if he's going to bring him uh, bring Wallacott back into the team in the long run, that in the immediate term, you just go with the guy that's sort of in situ for that game and uh, reassess on Tuesday or maybe at the weekend, see what's going on. But um, yeah, I'd, I'd absolutely no um, worries with that team. I had kind of expected that you might put Kessler Hayden back in because he seems to be sort of one of the players that just sort of has been like an automatic pick so far this season um, when he's been available, obviously. Um, but yeah, I think, yeah, definitely a lot of strengths in that team and... The, the standard of the bench is is a real sort of high quality thing. I can't think we've ever had four current internationals set on the bench many times, um, if at all, at least not in the time that I've been following the club. So um, it's one of those things where you think, even if we don't start well, then we've got stuff in reserve to change the game. And uh, yeah, it, it, it meant I was feeling very, very optimistic. Yeah, I must say there's a lot of hindsight Uh, around the starting 11 due to the final score of this game. But although there are players I would like to see in the 11, I can't argue with it. Yeah, I think the problem is there are players that I would like to see in the 11. I mean, the nature of the beast is that we've got a squad that probably has about 15 or 16 players that in previous seasons could have been considered automatic starts. I mean, I think it's 
sort of difficult for Kesler Hayden, Gilbert Williams um, to sort of be on the bench um, when you know we, we know exactly what their what their qualities are and what they bring to the team. But then it's hard to really argue about displacing any of the other players based on the performances as well. So I, I I'm a lot happier having this kind of issue than the issue that we've had before of like how can we fit people in so that we can get a good result so uh it, it it's a good problem to have and I think it's a it's a healthy debate to have because ultimately we're all just excited by the range of really talented players that we've got in the team talk to me about the first half then was it clear that Swindon were going to take the lead before they did or was it just a usual we're playing the ball around and we look sort of better than the opposition um, it, it's difficult to say in hindsight. I felt quite confident um, throughout the first half that we were kind of turning a corner at home um, in the sense that I think in a lot of the games that I've been to so far at home this season, we've looked really good. In terms of territory, we've been picking up really good areas, but we've not quite created the chances that match our play. Um, and that's why the... You know, we've either won like against Mansfield with um, a, a very narrow margin, or uh, we've not quite been able to sort of uh, get the result that we might have wanted. Um, I think it was different uh, on um, on Saturday. There were quite a few decent chances um, in the lead up to the goal. Um, Rochdale still sort of looked reasonably dangerous on the break. Um, they probably could have um, sort of. Yeah, may, maybe had one. I don't think it, there were any clear-cut chances, but they looked reasonably dangerous on the break and did get a little bit of a foothold for, for a time. But, I mean, I think there were a couple of chances for Andalo, Um One for Gladwin, where he opted to cross rather than shoot. Um, a lot of bodies in the way, so don't really blame him, but would have liked to have seen him just sort of crack one into the top corner there. Um, and, yeah, just, just I think... Um, a few opportunities where sort of McCurdy in in form just was looking to shoot at the first possible opportunity. So it's one of those ones where I was like, the goal is coming, but then you're kind of conscious that half time is very, very close. Um, so, okay, maybe it's not going to happen now. Maybe the, the flow of the game's going to break up. Um, but yeah, absolutely no surprise that we scored before, like when we did. And it was good to finally see another goal in the first half and, what a goal it was. I mean, yeah, that that goal is funny. It, it, in terms of the way it's built up, it's kind of a little bit scrappy from nothing. Um, really nice sort of com- combination play, but um, it's one of those things where we'd just been combining so well that, um, that that probably could have happened a number of times and it just happened to fall perfectly once. And uh, yeah, Gladwin scores one of the best goals we're going to see at the Cannock Ground all season. Pull ball out from Graham at the back to to give town the ball. Here's Conroy. Conroy hits a big diagonal out wide towards Hunt. That's headed clear by Keehan, but Swindon get the loose ball. McCurdy back to Gladwin. Sits up for him to volley. And that is an imperious goal from Ben Gladwin. And Swindon score in the first half. It dropped for him. And he arrowed the volley majestically past the goalkeeper in at the far post. And Swindon lead 1-0. Wow. Yeah, it's a great one too with McCurdy. Um, it's all about the flick, isn't it? Before teeing up Gladwin. The club are calling that a screamer. I'm not sure it's a screamer. It's it's Is it lofted? I, I don't know. It's kind of... <laughs> is it a rocket? I, I'm not sure. It seems to go in slow motion every time I see it. But w- what are you calling that? Um, 
I think we need to probably write into the Football Clichés podcast, don't we? Because he's got uh, quite an exhaustive list of sort of ways that you can shoot. I think he arcs it. I think he, it kind of it, it, it goes on the half volley. And the, the brilliant thing from where I was sitting is like I was directly in line between him and the posts. Uh, so you could see the ball just kind of like go up and under into the corner. Uh, it was it was more enjoyable in person than it was um, from the angle that they've got it on the on the TV. Um, but yeah, you can re- like if in person you could really see it get up and down. I don't think you quite get the effect of that um, on the cameras, probably just from the fact that the camera is higher up than than we are in the stands. Um, but yeah, it for me it's an arc. Is that? Mm. Yeah, what the other kind of words that is like, like a banana shot or something like that? No idea. I, I, my notes said lofted, but arc is so much better, and I think that's what I was looking for. It's just not a, it's not a rocket, it's not a screamer. That's all about pace. Um, I, I'm thinking like Rowan Ince goal from not against Scunthorpe, yeah, against Scunthorpe, and I'm thinking like Royce Brownlee against Barnet many moons ago. Um, or if if Harry McCurdy's volley, uh, his shot against Plymouth, absolutely, yeah, yeah. that that kind of vibe. Yeah, no, I I, I think <laughs> that there's there's probably two sort of schools of thought on screamers. You can either go for a brilliant goal that could not be saved, and that and that goal definitely comes into one, or you can go for like a really hard hit. Um, I think. I, I don't really mind too much, but I, yeah, I would I would think a, a screamer would probably be like harder than than that. Like, but then <laughs> we've got words like drilled it or um, blasted or something like that for that too. Yeah, it's not drilled or blasted. It's placed more than drilled, isn't it? I mean, you know, yeah, yeah it's it's uh it's just brilliant. I it, honestly, if you show that goal to anyone and like, can you name the league that this goal was scored in? Oh, I don't amazing. think someone's saying the fourth tier of English football. It, it's such good quality, apart from the defensive header that leads to Gavin picking up the ball <laughs> where he does. But you know, we can we can look past that. Yes, we absolutely can. And you know, forgive me for spending most of the time on the analysis of the goal, discussing whether it was a screamer or not. But hugely, <laughs> hugely pe- pleasurable goal. Yeah, and honestly, the roof, um, apart from obviously at the Stratton Bank where there isn't one, but the rest of the stadium, um, it, it lifted off at that point. I don't think I've ever seen a first-half goal re- received quite so warmly. I, everyone was just kind of in a state of just like glee and awe and shock that that had happened, I think. I don't know if I'm just creating an atmosphere that I felt, but maybe other people didn't. But I was, you know, it's one of those goals that just kind of, makes you feel a little bit funny for a little bit. And, oh, yes. That is exactly what I want. Uh, I want all goals. And then one of the absolute bonuses of scoring the equaliser at the end of the game was the fact that that goal wasn't null and void because we lost, which, oh, as you yeah. know, is a, is, a, is a massive thing for me. I, I don't care about Matt Taylor's goal against Wickham. Um, you know, or Keshi Anderson's against Grimsby because we lost the game. So who cares, right? I mean, you don't care about that Matt Taylor goal against Wickham, but you do mention it a lot. So I, I, I feel like we've we've definitely discussed it at least thrice on on the podcast. But then, as we established in the intro, that we did do a lot of podcasts, we were scraping the barrel a lot last season. So yeah, um, <laughs> that was a good goal, but I don't think about it very much. So you're probably right. Yeah, man. 
that'd be quite damning if I just slagged off something I talk about relentlessly. <laughs> oh, well, never mind. Um, congratulations to Ben Gadwin, who finally made 100 competitive appearances for town. It took about 400 years of trying, but he's there. Not many Swindon players do that these days, so good for him. In terms of the first half, there are there are penalty calls, and Ben Garner does talk about this in his post-match where he did seem a little bit more irked than usual um, when listening, especially when you watch the post-match, which you can find on official Swindon channels. He, he seems to think that Swindon should have got a penalty. The one in the first half was on Iandolo, but it's one of those ones where he does fall in a very odd way. I appreciate that if it's a foul, it's a foul, but it did look like he was searching for it. Yeah, I, I don't know if he was searching for it, if the physics of it are just a little bit weird. I don't, I don't think yeah. he comes into the challenge in the way that you would usually be sort of fouled. But yes, there's obviously clear contact. I don't think he tries to buy it as such. And th- it's weird. There wasn't much of an appeal as far as I can remember at the time. Um, so in my head, I, I, was, so I, was, I was looking at it. Um, thinking oh, that that could possibly be a pen or uh, maybe it's on the edge of the area maybe it's a free kick I don't I don't know um and then Rochdale could kick it clear referee plays on and it, if there was a reaction it was quite muted at the time so I was like well maybe I'm just being a biased fan and I think that's a penalty when I watch it back I think that probably should be a penalty um so yeah I, I think I might have really just been like second triple guessing myself and uh yeah it I can see why he's annoyed by it. Uh, I think the thing is, it was nil-nil at that point, and then Gladwin goes and scores a brilliant goal not too long later. So probably if we get that penalty, then then that Gladwin goal doesn't happen. I'm pretty happy that that those cards fell in the order that they did. Did Rochdale give us any hint that they had two goals in them on the basis of their first half Despair again, taking hindsight out of it. When you were watching the game, were you thinking this is this is going to be fine? Yeah, no, I was completely just happy. I was like, we're one nil up. We're a good second half team. Rochdale haven't had anything clear cut. You know, like I say, they they've looked relatively dangerous sometimes. Sometimes, but I think some sometimes that's just like us having the ball at the back and you thinking, what's the worst possible thing that could happen in this instance? <laughs> um, and you know, sometimes that thing does happen. So. No, not I don't I don't I didn't think the Rochdale were gonna score once, let alone twice. Um I thought Swindon were gonna go on and um take the second half by the horns. And uh, you know, apologies, we got it massively wrong. We certainly did. So what happened in the second half? It's a weird one in I think that partly it's a story of Rochdale really improving after the break. Um Either there were some really motivational words head which sort of put a rocket up them, or they sort of changed it tactically a little bit more, or a bit of both. I mean, they seem to be pressing us a lot higher. We got a little bit penned in at different points. So for their first goal, you've got kind of, um, I think Dan described it as a lazy pass up the line by Critchler, and I think that's the perfect, um, the perfect kind of way of describing it because it, it felt like he sort of knew where he was, knew where he wanted to play the ball, didn't really look up. Um, and then all of a sudden there's two Rochdale players on him. Um, it gets sort of moved over to the other side where we're sort of caught unawares, um, sort of just off balance. It, it, it is a really good sort of attacking transition goal from from Rochdale, I think. Um, 
but it's one of those things that is so easily preventable because you know literally 99 times out of 100 one of our defenders picks the right pass in that situation and it, it progresses into midfield and uh, we either work a chance ourselves or we lose the ball further up the pitch where it's not so dangerous so it's a uh, it's a bad goal to concede. I think we were kind of masters of our own downfall, but we obviously had to do it. The other team have to take credit in that they were alive to the fact that we were we are able to do that. And um, obviously, where they pick the ball up, there's still a lot of work to do to sort of create that sort of space for for, for the finish. Um, the second goal. They just kind of, it felt like it's similar to that Stevenage goal um, earlier this season where it just felt like the ball drops and no one knows what, what to do. We'll, we'll get we'll get to the, the second goal in just a minute. It's just this one sort of further point, really. On the, on the first goal, as you quite rightly mentioned, he's still got work to do to finish it, um, has broad bent, not that one. Lewis Ward stays static. Should he be rushing, closing down the angles or was he was he right to stay pretty much still? Uh, I'm not a goalkeeper coach, so I I don't know what the actual answer is. But yeah, you do feel like, generally speaking, you need to close the angle down. But then I think the thing is, I think it's in anyway. I think it's, I think it's probably you... in anyway. It, it's a one-on-one chance, and basically, I think a striker should score a one-on-one chance pretty much every every time. Really, that if they put in the corner, which Broadbent did, then really regardless of what Ward does, all he's doing is trying to sort of force the, the attacker into making the wrong decision and uh, and making a mistake. And uh, yeah, in that, in that instance, that's not what happened. But I think it would be, it'd be difficult to put the blame on, on, on Ward there, even if, you know, maybe there's some, some things that he could have done to put the striker off, but I just think it's a really good finish. Yeah, I, I would say that's fair. Okay, let's go back to the second goal. Apologies for interrupting there. I mean, this one, I got to be honest, I think you can point fingers to a degree because you know Liam Kelly is the goal scorer who spent a, a large chunk on trial with Swindon over the summer and to be honest I think he would have been our player had Louis Reed not emerged I think there's plenty of Swindon town defenders around him to close that and nobody closes him down and I think that's pretty damning yeah no that I, I don't know exactly who I'm blaming for that I don't really don't really care to be honest I think <laughs> as a collective they're all to blame because no one anticipates what's going to happen. There's probably about three or four people around him that could have either stopped the shot, got it clear, or just at least blocked it. Um, and then because there's so many bodies around, I think it leaves Ward unsighted and he's not quite sure where to go. Again, it's a good hit, uh, but it's a poor one. And like, like I said before, I, I compare it very closely to the, to the goal that we conceded at Stevenage where the first ball doesn't quite work for the the attacking team in defence. I think they kind of just think, oh, we'll, we'll deal with this. And then <laughs> all of a sudden, <laughs> we're, a goal, we're a goal down. So, um, yeah, it, it's... Yeah, I, I don't want to watch it again. But, um, yeah, it, it was a sucker punch, I think. It, it's one of those things where I, I don't think Rochdale were amazing. I think they, they sort of managed to kind of get themselves a foothold into the game and then score that as kind of a, a bit of a sucker punch. They were definitely the better team in the second half, but um, even when they're at one all, it felt like they'd set their stall out to to sort of get a draw. Um, and then, you know, they, if, if you get the opportunity to lay a glove on the opponent, then you do. And they, they did that perfectly. It was really sort of 
a really good sort of performance from them from from that side of things. But oh, it's just it's just so frustrating. It surely was. In terms of Swindon over the last few weeks, I would say, I would say it's the first game in a, in quite a while, despite our decent start to the season, where the expectancy from whether you're a Swindon fan, a Rochdale fan, or a neutral that just you know looks at League Two fixtures, where they would have said this was to be a Swindon Town win. So Rochdale taking the lead there with not too long to go is is a it's a big moment for Ben Garner, really, to try and show us what he's all about. What did Garner do once Kelly had scored with 10 minutes to go? Um, so, I mean, the, the substitutes that you make, um, I believe we've... Yeah, I think at, at that point he'd already put Kesler Hayden on for Hunt, um, ju- maybe just before. Um, yeah, just, yeah, so Hunt and McCurdy have left the pitch by the time the goal goes in. Yeah, but like maybe that's two minutes. It's like, it's not not long at all. Like, Mitch, yeah, Mitchell Lawson on. Um, and then, obviously, Odomeo's then hooked minutes later for, for Johnny Williams. Uh, so we kind of went to slightly different system where it, I think it was just kind of like me on the grill, just like put put the attacking players into position, give them the ball and see what happens. Um you know, the, if you look at a lot of the highlights of the, the final 15, 20 minutes, it's it's a lot of Swindon sort of passing it around in the final third, trying to work an opening. And uh, yeah, it, it, it was to prove, I think, a frustrating 15, 20 minutes for a fair few reasons. Um, but I think what you have to say is, you know, up until the goal, Rochdale were probably slightly on top, even if we were probably still kind of probing relatively well. Um, and with the changes that Ghana made, we managed to get back into the game. We looked more like scoring the third than um, than Rochdale did as well. Um, so, you know, fair play to him. I think the only thing is um, that even before the one all, I think the game was screaming out for a change. Uh, just, just someone to sort of ask a different question. And... Um, he left it probably 10, 15 minutes too long to make that first change. And, you know, maybe, maybe there's an, a world in which he makes the change earlier and it, it messes up. Um, but I think the changes that he made were all good ones. The, the players that came on mostly had a positive impact on the game. I would have just liked it a little bit earlier and maybe we would have pre- prevented um, ourselves from at least conceding the second goal. Um, but I guess we'll never know. Well, Swinner did equalise deep into injury time. Johnny Williams with his first goal. Cleverin keeps it. Ironlow has it. Ironlow has to go back. Critchlow. Still 2-1 to Rochdale. Anxiety here. Critchlow's looking up. What can I do? Rochdale have everyone back in defensive positions. Gladwin further forward to Ironlow. Cut back into Gladwin here. Gladwin checking back to Ironlow. They keep it with... Patiently. Now the cross from Gladwin into the back post area. Kessler Hayden heads it down across. Goal! Williams is in! Goal! Swindon get the equaliser in stoppage time from the little Welshman to make it 2-2. It's a a nice cushioned or nice header into the danger zone by Kessler Hayden, but I know it's one of those irrelevant facts given that this is a Swindon podcast, but if I'm a Rochdale fan, I'm livid with the defending at the end there. They are very, very slow. Um, it's a great goal. Good good build-up despite a few poor passes there. It was still very patient and 
Swindon seemingly got what they deserved, a point at least. Oh yeah, no, I mean for sure, I, I think if we'd have lost the game on, on run and for the whole 90 minutes, I mean, definitely the first half and the way that we played after we went a goal behind, um, then it, it probably would have been unfair. But it probably would have been unfair for Rochdale the way that they came out in the second half if we'd have actually nicked it. I think the goal that we score... I think it's relatively patient, but I think there was a lack of ideas because, you know, there's probably about four or five passes exchanged just between Gladwin and Andalo saying, you <laughs> deliver it, no, you deliver it, you deliver it. Gladwin finally decides to take the initiative, puts it in, really nice cross to Kessler Hayden, puts it right into the area on it, um, and uh, Williams. It was, yeah, seemingly the, the one guy that was composed. I think we had, we had a number of chances where just, I think Reed blasted it over the town end. I think... Uh, uh, Payne definitely blasted one over the town and one on one into the roof as well. Um, I'm glad that uh, William showed that deafness of touch to just guide it into the corner uh, because yeah, it again. Just talking about the moment that that goal happened, like it just felt explosive at that point. Like everyone was so relieved um, to see that. Um, I believe anyway. Um, it was just a really good moment. I, you can see Williams sort of charging off towards the Don Rogers. I think he for, forgetting that we wanted to go another goal. Um, but yeah, I think it's one of those ones where we've all been simmering for so long because the game just kept being so stop-start. You know, every time um, there was a breakage in play, like a Rochdale player was down, injured. Um game management we've called it in the past when Swindon have done it um you know just obviously the referee I'm not gonna put any blame at his door really I know I know Harry McCurdy has so probably it'd be legitimate for me to just take his side in in, in these things but um I think it was one of them where like I said Rochdale when they were one all they set their stall out and they started the time wasting and I think that's where you can nip it in the bud if the referee notices it early enough uh he didn't, and Rochdale were just really that they, they they did it re- really well. But it, it, you sat there just like any chance of a football game breaking out again, lads. It'd be it'd be really nice. So I'm glad that at least we managed to nick two of their points um, by getting that that equaliser. But uh, yeah, I would have quite liked a little bit more injury time uh, and seeing if we could have grabbed that third goal because it was uh, another really good atmosphere at the county ground towards the end, having that extra 2,000, 3,000 people in compared to normally at this point in the season. It's just making the end of the games um, every week that I'm there just seem so much bigger. It, it it was really, really exciting towards the end, even, even though maybe there was less football played than we, we would have hoped. When you walked out, did it feel like, you know, was it a positive draw or did you walk out thinking we've dropped points? You get the you, you, you get the euphoria of the equaliser, but at the same time, Rochdale had lost three games on the bounce and you know weren't playing very well and had, had taken the lead against a side that should be should be beating them. It's it's one of those where it's a, a point gained and two points dropped in the sense that there's <laughs> there's a universe where in that game we win it three four nil basically with the same run of events but just different finishes at different points. There's also a universe in which we lose that game 2-1, maybe even get a sucker punch with a 3-1. Uh, so, yeah, I, I think on balance of the game, like the draw was the right result. I was probably just kind of sat there thinking, what could have been if we'd have just finished one of those chances that we had in the first half or if we'd have just been able to work one more opportunity towards the end of the game? But 
an injury time equaliser. You're never going to complain about that. I was, I, was, I was in a good mood, I think, uh, overall. I think it was a good performance. Um, but I think we, we just need to get that sort of sort of duck off our back and just kind of just get a two, three, four goal win at home just to kind of give everyone the confidence. Because it, it, I don't know what it is because the performances at home are not significantly worse than the ones away from home, but the outcomes are so different. Yeah, it's, it's an odd one, isn't it? But I don't think it's something to dwell on too much as long as you know we're not losing them. And we'll, we'll get into a bit more of that in just a moment. Before we move on to listeners' contributions, I do want to sort of highlight the, the referee's performance because I, I think in terms of the feedback that we get from the contributions, criticism towards the referee was far lighter this time. But Ben Garner was particularly critical in the press conference and Harry McCurdy took to social media to uh, jovially show his displeasure at the referee's performance uh, with a picture of the referee and the look of whatever. I, I can't remember, but I mean, McCurdy's probably drifting towards an FA charge at some point, isn't yeah. it? But but. <laughs> Was it was it that bad? No, uh, I think honestly, probably for the first seventy five minutes, I was on the side of this referee's actually been really good. He he, um, I mean, there, there was a point where um, I think it was Payne and McCurdy were both sort of kind of through on the break in the first half on the halfway line. McCurdy gets absolutely taken out, clattered, but the ball bounces so that Payne is completely in on goal. Um, and he played advantage. Um, Payne ends, ends up missing and then the ball goes down the other end. Rochdale sort of have a chance. The ball eventually goes out and he he booked the player, which obviously that's just the correct application of the laws, but it doesn't happen very often that that's actually done. Um, at least <laughs> it doesn't seem to in a lot of Swindon games. So I was I was pleased with that. Um, there, were, there were a number of sort of times when I think he made the correct decision in a difficult way. Uh, and then... You know, maybe there's the penalty decision, which I think I was, I felt quite agnostic about at the time. And, you know, maybe now I, I kind of think it, it was a penalty. But I, yeah, if I wasn't too annoyed at the time, then it can't have been so wrong. Um, but then just towards the end of the game, I don't know if it's me just getting more and more agitated by uh, the way that the game was in terms of the score. Um, if it was the time wasting from Rochdale, which. You know, I think it's just it's just the fact that they were wasting time. I'm not trying to like judge that negatively or positively on them as a team, um, but you know it, it starts to get you annoyed. And then there's a couple of things where probably earlier in the game I'd have given the ref the benefit of the doubt, but it really annoyed me. So in the flesh, there's there's one where um, Mitchell Lawson goes down on the edge of the box or maybe just inside the box, um, looked for all the world like a stonewall penalty, and then he gets booked. And you're like, what on earth are you doing, ref? <laughs> Uh, looking at it back, it's such an obvious dive that he's actually made the right call there, I think. Um, and obviously, it doesn't seem to be the one that Garner's annoyed about. So I think that tells its own story. Um, there were just a few, a few points where I think Rochdale sort of went in on us slightly roughhouse and it wasn't blown up. And uh, that, that kind of annoys you when then they're going down very easily, just trying to see the game out and uh, getting getting blown out and... Then the physio's on for two minutes to treat the injury that didn't actually occur. Uh, so um, it's probably one of those ones where had we just got the winner, I don't think anyone would have really been remarking on on the referee. But the way that the game went, I think we people were sort of starting to get frustrated, probably in the coaching staff as well as the players and us as fans. And 
we maybe look for someone to blame. I just don't think the referee was too bad. But obviously, that there's a lot, there's enough there that you could probably say like this decision's wrong and this decision's wrong. And yeah, I think with with Garner as well. Obviously, from some of the the pre match stuff, Forest Green, where he's been talking about writing to the the, the FA about why is this decision been given, this decision not been given. There's probably just a general frustration from a number of games that's kind of making anything that's quite small seem worse just in terms of like blowing it into uh yeah like further out of proportion than maybe maybe it actually was swindon hoping to add to the tally at home it's threatening again it's another one it's connell who strikes once more it's turning into a wonderful afternoon for him it's turning into a wonderful afternoon for swindon and paolo di canio they lead at last well managers take their credit for substitutions if they work and this one has certainly worked absolutely loads of correspondence this week big thanks to everybody who sent stuff in I'll get through as many as I can, starting with Leap, who simply says, we came out for the second half asleep for 15 minutes. Steve Garten says, large home crowd lifting opposition more than us, maybe. Large crowds are no longer hostile like they once were. Think maybe teams see this as one of the big games and find an extra gear. We need to adjust to it. Big crowds can do funny things. Bring extra pressure on the home team. Pete says... Don't know whether it was arrogance or stupidity, but this match should have been over and done with by halftime. But must be more professional and kill off these opponents in the future. Bernie Man says, shot ourselves in the foot second half and wasted an easy chance to take three points. Frustrating, but the positive is, look how far we have come, that we are pretty much all disappointed. Probably would have snapped somebody's arm off for that last season. Gladwin, man of the match. Tom says, a positive performance overall, but tarnished by some timid defensive play partway through the second half. Gladwin, man of the match, he's getting better all the time. Williams and Kessler Hayden added impetus. Simpson's poor movement and aerial ability are limiting the effectiveness of the team. Pete Marsh gives our Kess man of the match and goes on to say that that was a necessary lesson learned for all the players. If you're going to play in a complacent, sloppy manner, then the dog and duck second team are capable of scoring against you. Far too easy in the first half. Could have ended in no points. Rob says a completely different Swindon side showed up for the second half. Defence fell to bits and taking off McCurdy was the wrong call in my opinion. Iandolo, man of the match for Rob. Jimmy Legg says, played them off the park in the first half, like a different team in the second. We gifted them their goals, but could have been worse with their missed chances. Electric when Williams scored. Just disappointing to draw. Gladwin, man of the match. His goal was such a peach. Joshua D says the first half was beautiful, quick flowing moves, stunning. Gladwin goal and could have had a few more goals by half time. We were we looked lost in the second half, and why McCurdy was taken off, I will never know. And lucky in the end with a point. Man of the match, McCurdy, home form needs to change. Philip Holloway says a terrible second half performance. Williams and Kessler Hayden have to start. Also, maybe considered harsh, but based on the footwork alone, Wallacott should start over Ward. I am alone, my man of the match, for his constant effort and ambition. Liam gives Payne man of the match, and then 
second place to Kessler Hayden. How Simpson stayed on over McCurdy is beyond me. Simpson didn't look after the ball or contribute at all today. I'd like to see McCurdy and Williams playing off on Tuesday. Defence overall very poor today and Critchlow at fault for both goals. Rich P, not me, says need to change the formation at home and go 4-4-2. Happy with three central defenders away from home, but at home we need to be more positive and it showed late in the second half when we changed formation. Glad win man of the match for me and getting better by the game. Wardy S says, game of two halves. Gladwin, best player over 90 minutes, seemed complacent in the second. 45, really think Williams should have been given longer than 10 minutes. Two points lost today, really must get this home form sorted. Jamie says, since I know you love cliches, we do and we don't, but yeah, uh, it was a game of two halves. I think that Ward was a little shaky and Wallacott should go in next game. Man of the match, Reed. Mr. Jason says, Critchlow has his bad moment in every game and today it cost us. First half, we were incredible and couldn't see them scoring. Second half was simply complacency from a number of players. Gladwin is improving each game and again played solidly with a cracking goal. So man of the match for me. Jack simply says he didn't follow the game, but 9,000 at home is very encouraging. Matt says, good first half, poor second. Two poor errors that led to goals. Thought we were too slow in the second half and Ward's distribution was poor with too many long balls to no one or out of play. Credit though to Rochdale for the high press. Take the positives, no defeat, and we're away from home on Tuesday. Craig C says, man of the match is hard to pick, but he's gone for pain. A great attendance let down by a poor atmosphere until injury time. It was like a library at times. We didn't start the second half until the 85th minute. Nowhere near good enough. Frustrating result, but true grit shown to get the draw. Hady <laughs> Mails says, we played like a League 2 referee second half. Man of the match, Gladwin, closely followed by Arkes. Can't say read every game. Yeah, you can, Edie. Simon says a very good first half and comfortable. Just didn't come out second half. We looked lacklustre. Some lazy passing and Rochdale capitalised. Happy with the draw. Man of the match is hard to pick. No standouts. Maybe Critchlow or Gladwin. Ned says same problem every home game. Zero intensity. Swindon failed to leave the changing room until 10 minutes before the end. This happens mostly in the first half in away games too. We need to find the key to play from minute one with intensity. If we do, we will walk this league. Simple as. Man of the match, Louis Reed, Only player to have put 100% and was completely effective. Shouldn't be in this division far and away too good at this level. He also goes on to say that he's confused by other people's comments about the good first half. It wasn't. It was better than the second half, but not classed as good. Thankfully, we were up against a poor Rochdale team. Ash says, very frustrating our home form, and especially after a very good first half. Man of the match, Payne, as he was excellent. Ben says, subs made too late, comfortably cruising first half, terrible second half. Still can't get my head round. How we threw it that away, despite the last minute equaliser, a draw feels like defeat. Gladwin, man of the match, best player on the park by a long way. Poor though today, Swindon Town Football Club. Paul says it was extremely frustrating, but that's how it goes sometimes. And Neil says, not sure if it's two points dropped or a point gained against a very average side. Gladwin, man of the match. Matt G says it would have been a harsh loss, showed the need to capitalise when on top and put the game to bed. Gladwin improved again. Ellis 
probably the most consistent over 90 minutes, though. Mr. R. Allison says complacent second half threw it away. Should not even have been close onwards and upwards. And Mike, again, calls it literally a game of two halves. Great in the first and poor in the second. Subs were made too late and wish the atmosphere was like it was from the 85th minute for the whole of the game. Iandolo, man of the match, for continually trying to push forward and make things happen. Ryan says it was the best first half performance of the season, but the worst second half performance. He gives man of the match to Gladwin. Ian goes with sloppy goals conceded and perception is we make hard work of it. Another day and that equates to a clean sheet and we're talking about an easy win. Appeared like we were a little off the pace. Lots of balls were an inch or two out of reach. The equaliser means no panic. If we keep winning away, read man of the match. Daniel says first half we should have killed them off and we should have had a pen too. Second half they changed their tactics and made us look average. We took until their second goal to change our tactics, which saw us get our goal. Sean says the McCurdy Simpson five at the back still looks to suit us well. One unideal performance does not a disaster make. Whew. Glad we're man of the match with Iandolo a close second. And finally, Paul Temple says sloppy seconds. Ah, oh, well, we got a point thanks to a quick thinking Johnny. Well, deserve the win, but not with that defending. After you? No, after you. Man of the match is Ben Gladwin. However, Louis Reed is so consistent. Thanks, everyone. Okay, so lots of the same rhetoric there. Good first half performance. Bad second half performance. Uh, except for Ned, who highlighted that the first half wasn't as good as what people are saying. I think what we fall into, and I've mentioned it on the plus side quite a bit, is that when we're talking about football on a weekly basis, whether it's on a podcast or on social media or with your friends, whatever, is that we hype up the positive and then really go to town with the negative. It was a draw. It wasn't a loss. These things happen. And I can't see beyond that. I can't see this. I don't I don't think there's any need for a, a you know, a full investigation on what happened. There's a game coming up really really close after it's just up to the Swindon to make the necessary changes for the Sutton game but I don't think that this game needs to be overanalyzed. No I completely agree I don't think there's much that we can really take forward from from this game to the others because both of the goals that they're, they're silly errors that have caused them I think that the very simple fixes don't make the silly errors like they're, they're things that usually we do correctly so all we have to do is make sure we don't do them wrong in the future um in terms of creating more chances I think that, that we I think we did create more chances than in a few previous league games I don't know if the xG and that kind of thing would would bear it out but I think we just need to sort of see, you know, the last few games we've been creating chances and been looking positive. Hopefully that just continues to be to be how it is. But I just think it's it's natural. I think that the human mind always looks for patterns and the very, very obvious one at the moment is that we've played what, six games at home, we've won one of them this season. And I think there's a way that you can look at that neutrally that performances have differed between, you know, positive in, in parts but overwhelmingly negative with something like Carlisle um, to being quite positive and people being infused by like I know the Tranmere game the Mansfield game um, to an extent Colchester to an extent Saturday um, I think there's 
it's it's just a difficult one. I think we all we all try and from the games that we've seen try and work out how it's going to be in the next few weeks. And I honestly just I don't know what to expect on Tuesday. I don't know what to expect next Saturday. Um, two quite interesting games coming up. Um, and yeah, I think I think it's one of those things where sort of if we're not sort of on social media quite so much, um, probably there doesn't feel like there's much noise um, in terms of, I think most people are kind of happy to take Saturday's game as it is, but I think we, we just want to have these talking points and uh, kind of work out, you know, where, what the, what the correct thing is. So it, it, it feeds into this thing where everyone sort of wants to see a couple of players that weren't in. And then how do we rotate those players in? Who, who do you actually drop? Did anyone actually play badly enough to be dropped? Um, it's a really difficult one because I think I think when you don't win but you've actually played quite well, it's like a really it's a puzzling thing to to kind of <laughs> kind of encounter. And yeah, for me, I think we did play well and we didn't win, um, and and that's kind of just going to be that. I'm I'm glad that we've got another game so soon just to kind of you know give us something else to think about. Um, and the longer the season goes on, the more we're going to know um, how things are and. I just think back to the Richie Wellens promotion season and we weren't good at home really until the new year. Well, uh, the the performances were sort of getting better as the season went on, the results were getting better. But I think there were a lot of, at at this point in the season, there were a lot of sort of games where we're going into the home games with like a lot of excitement. We'd just won away a a decent team uh, um, you know, p- different players were exciting us, and then we went and got beat like three nil by Colchester or two nil by Newport. Um, and yeah, that's just gonna that, that that's just how it how it is. I hope that we kind of have the same thing where, as we, as the the days get shorter and the nights get colder, uh, we, we start to win at home. Um, but we're only going to find out in time, aren't we? Under Richie Wellens in the in the the championship winning season in League Two, I think we were. One week into the Doyle run, so let's hope Gladwin takes <laughs> takes inspiration on that. Um, man of the match from the listeners was Ben Gladwin. I think he got the most on the ones that I read out, but just in other areas, he clearly got it. There were plenty of nominations elsewhere too. Who gets our man of the match? I'm going to have to agree with the uh, the overall sentiment and say Ben Gladwin. I think the goal makes it very obvious. Um the romantic in me says, you know, 100 appearances, let's give him man of the match. But to be honest, not really anyone else stands out. I think defensively, there was some sloppiness today that there hasn't been in other games. And I'm, I'm not saying that as like an individual thing. I think that's just sort of as a unit, there are a couple of more mistakes creeping in. Um, I think Reed wasn't quite as imperious as we have seen him uh, sort of in recent weeks. Um, but, you know, he, he was bound to sort of have one game that wasn't quite as good at some point and let's hope that that was it um and I, I think it's one of those things where there's a number of players that were were, were pretty decent Harry McCurdy was was lively without sort of having quite the end product obviously still got an assist um I think Iandolo was in a lot of good positions but didn't quite get the ball sort of where he needed it to be Simpson was busy again but it just wasn't quite getting into positions to actually have the shot and uh for me, it's just the the one player that I'm going away sort of saying, you know, that this performance is probably a seven or eight out of, out of ten rather than a, a six. 
is Gladwin. So yeah, process of elimination. There we go. Okay, so it goes to Ben Gladwin for the spreadsheet. Lovely. As we've already indicated, next week or next game is at Gander Green Lane, home of Sutton United, first ever uh, league game against them. They are in fine form. They have won their last four games on the bounce. As you've quite rightly indicated, you know, what Ghana does now is is quite tricky because I don't think anyone, as you've implied, did anything to to deserve to be dropped. But given the way I think they operate, I think it's almost inevitable there's going to be some squad rotation in this game. Yeah, and I think it's interesting, isn't it? Because I think the what's what's kind of happened a lot this season seems to be that something's not quite working and then we we make that one substitution and it unlocks everything. Um, so you know, <laughs> putting people in um, that have done well off the bench and then maybe they work, maybe they don't, it's hard to work out sort of what the best way of doing that is. I think, I think the, the good thing is that on Tuesday we should still have the options. I think a lot of people have maybe said Gladwin's been brilliant for the last sort of three, four games, but is he going to be able to play Saturday, Tuesday? Maybe he rotates out and we put Williams in. I'd, I'd like to see Williams in the starting eleven at some point. I think um, he, he's the sort of player that could have like a really, really positive impact um, if he's given a little bit more time uh, rather than sort of the 20, 30 minutes that we've been giving him so far. Um, but it, it's a really difficult one. I, I think basically what I'm going to do on Tuesday is look at the lineup at quarter two seven and just accept whatever whatever Garner's decided. I'm not gonna not not gonna complain in either way because he can't go too far wrong with the players that we've got. Um it'll be interesting to see if he kind of continues with the the back three formation that we've been playing and had some success with in recent weeks or whether he's gonna kind of revert to how we were playing towards the end where he's just adding another creative player into the mix and, and seeing what happens. But you know the back three, the formation that we've got, the team that we've got has been sort of broadly what we've been playing with away from home this season and we were unbeaten away from home. So the recipe's there. Exactly which ingredients we use, who knows? But I, I think I I, I think uh, it's going to be one of them where probably if we're going to win, the guy that changes the game is going to come off the, come off the bench anyway. So um, we, we probably need to think in terms of 14 players rather than 11 um, for Tuesday. Yeah, absolutely. Well, here's hoping it's a good one. We'll be podding a uh, review of that game at some point this week, but that'll do for now. Connor, thank you very much. Thank you. The Low Strangers is an independent podcast. Views given do not reflect those of Swindon Town Football Club. The music is provided by the great Matthew Kilford and the podcast artwork is by Matt in Singapore. Thanks for listening. Come on, Swindon. Hi, Alice Pod fans, it's JR here. If Swindon players were McDonald's items, who would they be? We've had lots of Big Macs like the legendary Alan McLaughlin, Harry McCurdy, or even Steve McMahon. Perhaps you'd prefer to channel the power of McPlant like Darren Ward, or maybe five chicken selects, one to enjoy for each time Ben Gladwin joined. Yep, there's one spare, but there's still time. And you don't need super scouts or data solutions to get your hands on any of these. McDelivery through the McDonald's app brings them all to you. At participating restaurants, 18 plus. Serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. 
Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.